family. And I would love for you in a moment just to stand. And I want to take some time to go around and just greet people the way that Paul said to greet people. And he would say, peace be with you. Just a reminder that, hey, we want God's peace to be with you this morning. Look for someone that you don't know and say hi this morning. So stand and go ahead and do that. Uh, From our pastoral team, peace be with you this morning. There's an article written called How Stories Connect and Persuade Us, Unleashing the Brain Power of Narrative. And Melanie Green, she says, solid information in any form, facts, charts, etc., is good, but that's not necessarily enough. If you look at the times somebody's beliefs have been changed, it's often because of a story that hits them in the heart. There is power in story. If you were learning something in a book, you could maybe recount different charts or different facts, but if you read a story and you were impacted by that story, you would remember it almost in detail. There is power in story. It's the reason why we start a novel and we stay up late because we want to finish it. Or if you're like me, the other night I was watching a Netflix series and I knew I was getting to the end and I was really invested in the story. I'm like, okay, it's 11 o'clock at night. Should I put it down or should I watch it the next day? One in the morning, I'm still watching this show because I wanted to see how it ends because there's power in story. Not just in a book, not just in a movie or a TV series, but there is power in your story. There's power in what God has done in your life. As we continue in the book of Acts today, we're finding ourselves in chapter 26 of Acts. And it's in chapter 26 that the Apostle Paul tells his story of transformation. And it is a powerful story. I was reading it out loud yesterday to get ready for the message. I was reading out loud. I go, this is so good. I remember details specifically from Paul's story that I'll remember forever. Because there's power in story, not just Paul's story, but your story. And as we go along today and we look at Paul's story, truly there's three acts in his story in the book of Acts. There's the act of what happens before he comes to know Jesus. What's happening in the midst of coming to figure out who Jesus is. So the how he comes to Jesus. And then finally, who is he and how is he living his life now that he's following Jesus? And if you're trying to share your story with with a stranger or even a family member who's going to be at your house for the holidays and you're thinking, I I really want to share about Jesus, how do I do that in a way that's compelling? All you have to do is sit down and tell your story just like Paul does. And what we're going to do today is I'm going to show you how to craft your story just like Paul does. And in the end, I'm hoping that maybe, just maybe someone who you're wanting to share about Jesus with would hear your story and want it to become their story as well. So open your Bibles to Acts 26. And before we get there, I gotta tell you just a couple things that are happening so you understand the setting of Acts 26. So if you remember going back to the previous few chapters, Felix is the governor. He ends up uh, assigning Paul to a prison and he's there for two years. And then Felix goes away and there's a new governor named Festus Festus comes on the scene, he's looking at the lay of the land and his leadership and he's figuring out, holy smokes, there is this guy named Paul, what do I do with him? So he ends up going to a king named Agrippa. His full name is Herod Agrippa II. And Agrippa is so gripped, pun intended, by Paul's story that he needs to figure out who is this guy and what do we do with him? 
Now, just a sidebar on King Agrippa, you may be thinking, wait a minute, I've heard of him before. Where, where is he at in the Bible? And he comes from a lineage of evil rulers. In fact, this quote right here by R.B. Rackham tells us a little bit about that history. He says, Herod the Great was the one who tried to destroy the infant Jesus. His son Antipas, the Tetrarch of Galilee, beheaded John the Baptist and won from the Lord the title of Fox. His grandson Agrippa I slew James, the son of Zebedee, with the sword. Now we see Paul brought before Agrippa's son, King Herod, Agrippa II. Now, this is the ruler that Paul has to now tell his story to. And you have to remember, Paul's been waiting for two years to tell his story. And now he has the chance. Which brings us to Acts 26. Here's the first half of verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you may speak in your defense. Paul finally gets this opportunity to share his story. And I love how the apostle Peter puts it. What Paul would have been thinking and excited about in this moment. Here's, here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So Paul, he has this hope in Jesus, and now he has an opportunity to talk about Jesus. And what you're going to see in a few moments is Paul doesn't drop a lot of theology. He doesn't talk about different apologetics. He doesn't go into specific Bible verses. All he really does is tell his story. Right before this king, right before the governor, he could say anything he wants, but he knows the power of one story. What is your story? Who needs to hear your story? Who needs to hear about Jesus in a way that shows a life-transforming power of grace? You're going to see this in Paul, and we hope to see it in you as well. Here's Paul. So Paul, gesturing with his hands, started this defense. He says, I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know you are an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. Now please listen to me patiently. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect in all of our religion. Now I'm on trial because my hope is in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day. And they share the same hope that I have. Yet, the, your majesty, they accuse me of having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. And many times, I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. This, my friends, is Act 1 in Paul's story. Who he was before Jesus Paul was a zealot, one who is committed to God, but he thought his commitment to God meant persecuting those against God. In his eyes, those who were against God were the Christians. 
And he violently opposed them unto death. Paul was a zealot. Paul hurt people. Paul did not love Jesus at the time. And I imagine if you look at your story in your life, there was a time where you didn't love Jesus either. Think about your commitment to the church. Maybe in your before story, you grew up in church. If so, you'd be like my wife Paula, who grew up in church, and that's really all she knew. But there was a time in her life where she didn't know who Jesus was. For me, my mom grew up Jewish. My dad grew up in a different church. When they were married, and even after they got divorced, church wasn't a huge priority in our lives like it is now. And so I didn't really grow up in the church. Maybe for some of you, you did grow up in church, but your before story is, I saw a lot of people in church act one way in the church, and then they acted a different way outside of church. What was your relationship to church? What was your belief in God? Did you believe in him? Were you an atheist? Were you an agnostic? Are you still trying to figure out what that even looks like today? Think about your life. Were you hopeless? Did you have a lot of fears? Were you scared of what would happen after you would die? All of us have a before story. And it's so powerful when you're sharing your story of hope to camp out on who you were before Christ because then when you get to this point where you talk about how Jesus redeemed your life, it shows this contrast of going from who you are to who you are now. That's exactly what Paul does. Look what happens here. Acts 26, 12 through 15 here. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests. It was about noon, your majesty, I was on this road, and a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's own people who are set apart by faith in me. If you are familiar with the book of Acts, you probably read this, you're like, wait a minute, I've read this before. And you're right, it's included three different times in the book of Acts. Luke knows that he includes it three times in the book of Acts. It's on purpose because anytime you see something repeated over and over in the Bible, you need to circle that or you need to take notice because it's God working through the authors to alert us to something very important. And what is so key and so important that Luke has to include it three times is what happens when you come into a relationship with Jesus. What I love about Paul, he says he was doing his own thing. And then all of a sudden, God comes to him. And he starts to tell him about himself. No matter if you're an early child who received Christ when you were five years old, or you are later in life, no matter what it looks like, this is the pattern. 
Because none of us are looking for Jesus. We're going our own way, either as a little child or an adult. And it's when God somehow comes to us through a church service or through a relationship and says, I, I want to have you, that we discover that this God has been pursuing us all along and now we get to enter into a relationship with him. You see, all of us have the different how and we need to explain that to people. Your story may be like Paul's where you were just walking along, you were living your life, wanting nothing to do with God or church or Jesus and bam, something happened and it woke you up to the fact that God loved you. That's what happened to me. I bet you my story is a little bit more unique, not more unique, but a little unique than yours because I don't think any of you came to Christ after watching WWE wrestling, did you? Exactly. Jesus knows how to butter up my heart. I was in high school, junior in high school. My buddy Corey and I, we would always watch Monday Night Raw together. If you know anything about wrestling, that's the big, the big night to watch wrestling. And my parents are out of town, so Corey comes over to my, house, or my grandparents' house, and we're hanging out watching wrestling, and after it's done, he goes home, and I'm just flipping through the channels in my grandmother's recliner, and then all of a sudden, I, I turn to channel nine, which if you're a local and you know that's the, I called the religious channel, and again, I have never stopped there in my life, and I stop there, and I, I look at the teacher's teaching for about five seconds, and then I go to get the remote to change the channel, and I can't find the remote. And I, you know how it is, you're just digging in there, my arms hurt, I'm like, where is this remote? I don't watch this weirdo. And I'm looking for the remote and I can't find it. And so I have two options at this point. I can either get up and turn the channel on the TV, or I can just sit there and be bored by this religious dude that's talking about God. Well, I'm lazy, still lazy to this day. And so I just sit there kind of zoning out, or at least trying to. But then this pastor starts talking about hope. And I was thinking to myself, I don't really have hope. He's talking about unconditional love. That God can love me even though I don't always love him. And I'm like, I never associated that with anything, let alone God. He talked about grace. Grace meaning even though I lived this way, God will give me a fresh start. And I was thinking, I am desperate for a fresh start. I, I've wanted to change for a really long time and I've tried on my own and I just always go back to who I was. And then at the end, this pastor just prayed a prayer. He said, hey, if you want this in your life, just pray to ask Jesus to forgive you and you can follow him. And somehow I prayed that prayer. The next day I called my buddy Corey and we were talking. I go, hey, by the way, last night I was watching this channel after you left and, and, I, and I said yes to Jesus and he dropped the phone. <laughs> Because he just came to know Jesus and he's been trying to tell me about Jesus and I didn't even know he was. And all of a sudden, Jesus, he came to me and he had to pursue me. That's because I wanted nothing to do with him and he had to find me right where I'm at. And that's exactly what God has done with you. If you have a story of transformation, just like Paul, where Paul's just going about his life and all of a sudden Jesus comes to him and says, follow me. Tell that story. All of us will have a different how. But what happens to all of us we have in common? Again, I just love what Paul says in verse 18. He goes, look, I'm sending you now to the Gentiles, which are the non-Jews, to open their eyes. When you and I receive Christ, we, we have our eyes open to a new reality. And we're transferred from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. We now have forgiveness for our sins. We are now part of God's own people as we put our faith in him. What a great story to tell. 
I love telling my story because it's not about me. And people who knew me before can see me now. I'm like, wow, you're different. I'm not perfect. But there are a lot of things that have changed in me, not because I'm a good guy, because I'm really not. But I realize there's a good God who wants me, who left the comforts of heaven to come to this earth and die a death that I could never do on my own. And he died for my sins and then rose again three days later after dying on the cross so I can be whole and be with him for eternity. And not just eternity, but here now. That's a powerful story to tell. In the midst of a culture that's not just dark, but hopeless. I heard a leader say this the other day. We may have gone back to normal after the pandemic, but people are still not back to normal. There is more hopelessness and faithlessness and a lack of love and division more than I've ever seen before. People are desperate to find something. And it could be your story, just like Paul's story here, that could lead them to knowing Jesus. When's the last time you shared that story? People need to know it. People need to hear it. Afterwards, Paul says, I I came to know Jesus, and here's what happened after I did that. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, throughout all of Judea, and also to the Gentiles that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove they have changed by the good things they do. I love that part right there. Paul says, look, I am going to tell people about Jesus. Once they put their faith in Jesus, then they will live a life in such a way when people see them, they will know that they follow Jesus by the good that comes from their life. It's not about our good works in order to earn God. No, no, no. God comes to us. We say yes to following Jesus, and then we do good. Not because we have to earn God's favor. It's just because we're a new creation now, and we live differently. And Paul says, well, some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. But God has protected me right to this present time, so I testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses would would said would happen. Excuse me. That the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead. And in this way, announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. If you're familiar with Paul's writings, you know he talks about who he is in Christ and and how that impacts his life now. And with this audience of Agrippa and Festus and everyone else listening, he chose to go this route. To say, now I am called to preach to the Gentiles no matter what happens to my life. And because I am to do this, I am living in light of who Christ is and I'm changing and I'm not perfect yet, but this is my mission in life. What I love about Paul in a different letter where he says, look, I know Jesus rescued me, but I didn't deserve it because I truly am one of the greatest sinners of all time. And Paul will tell you that he's not perfect at this moment, but he's becoming more like Jesus. And he tells that to them. He tells it to anyone that will hear them. And that's what story that you have to tell. You don't just talk about who you were and how Jesus rescued you. Now you talk about your life now. You reflect upon what is happening in your life and the mission that God has you on. And you tell them, look, you know me. You know I'm far from perfect. You don't have to convince your friends and family that they know. (laughs) 
But they also can see the change in you. They can see the difference in your life. They can see that maybe you used to be greedy, but now you're being generous. Or you used to be angry more, and now you're being more patient. They can see those things. Tell them about it and give credit to God for that. Because maybe, just maybe by your story, they look at your story and they say, man, I I want to know more about God. So when you're telling your after story, maybe you can put it in question form like this. You want to say, you want to know how God's given me a new purpose in my life? Here's how, it, how, here's how it is. Or how's God rearranged your priorities in life? Or what confidence do you now have that replaces fear? What victories do you now have over previous struggles? What joy and peace has flooded your once dry spirit? How has certainty of eternal life changed how you go at life? What was it like needing control and then letting Jesus lead you? In what ways do you want God to continue to work in your life? You just tell people the answers to these questions. And then you do the most important thing. You leave the results to God. Because if you leave here today and you come back to me, and you're like, Eric, I did what you said we should do. I obeyed the scriptures and I told my story to a family member at Thanksgiving or I told it to a coworker while we were having lunch. And they ridiculed me. And I'm angry at you because you didn't tell me that. (laughs) I don't know what to do with that. So what I'm going to tell you right now is, not only may it happen, it probably will happen. Just like if you're in baseball and you're batting a 333 average, that's one of the best averages you can have, and yet you're still failing. (laughs) You may share Christ with somebody. And at the end of the day, your average is a little bit lower than you want. But it doesn't matter because in God's eyes, you still would be succeeding just by sharing your story. That's why after Paul shares his story, there's two principles we have to remember. The first is this, be ready for ridicule and rejection. Not if, but when. After Paul tells his story, Festus shouted in verse 24, Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy. Paul just waxes eloquently about what God has done in his life. And the first thing Festus can do is, you are nuts. <laughs> and you may have people in your life that after they hear your story, you're like, ah, you are a Jesus freak or you're a religious weirdo. <laughs> after they say to you what they said to Paul, this is super important to hear. Your response to them will either have them disregarding what you just said or being even more intrigued. If your response to the person that says you're not, it's not true or I don't believe in God and you debate them, you judge them, you get angry with them, you bring all these theological evidence to them even though they don't want to hear it at that point, if you do that, you have lost a listener. But if you do what Paul does, you may have gained a listener. Because Paul says, your majesty, Festus, listen. What I just shared with you is true. You may not believe it, but this is my story. And I need to share it with you and everybody else. Then he turns to Agrippa and he says, Agrippa, listen. You know the prophets, don't you? Basically he's saying, don't you know what I'm saying? You've read about. Is none of this hitting your heart? Agrippa's response in verse 28 
he interrupts Paul and says, do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? One guy said, you're crazy. Another guy says, you're not gonna do what I think you're trying to do with me. And you may have some in your life, like you're not gonna try to convert me. But listen, obedience trumps results. If you obey and you tell your story, it doesn't matter what people say because in the back of your mind, the most important thing when you share your story with someone that doesn't know Jesus yet is that you remember that no one, no one is beyond God's reach. Nobody. The apostle Paul would be the first one to say, I was killing Christians, I was the worst of all sinners, and now here I am telling about Jesus. Anybody, whether it's Festus or Agrippa or the crowd, anybody, can know about Jesus. And all I'm going to do is share my story and leave the results to God. But if you don't share it, it doesn't matter. It's interesting, Paul, he says back to the crowd and to the royal highnesses there, he says, whether quickly or not, my prayer to God, my prayer to God that both of you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I, except for these chains. I love what he says. He's standing in front of the crowd. He's in chains. And he says, look, you may think that I'm not free, but I am. And I'm hoping that you discover the same freedom that I discovered in Jesus, just like you do. And then he leaves the results to God. Your job is simply to share your story you don't have to know theological facts. You don't have to know where everything's in the Bible. You don't have to know everything because a lot of times we don't share because we don't know how to answer questions. Just tell your story and let's see what God does. If you're here today and you're like, I don't believe in that Jesus stuff. First of all, I would love to have coffee with you. I just want to tell you more about my story. And I would love to listen to your story of why you don't believe because I have a feeling the reason you believe is, don't believe is very valid. I would love to hear more about that. But if you're honest with yourself and you're thinking about, could this God be true? My prayer for you is that you would say this to God right now in your heart. And I'm gonna read it out loud. And if you're questioning God or you're seeking God, would you just say this and see what happens? John Stott says, God, if you exist, and I don't know if you do, and if you can hear this prayer, I'm not sure if you can, if I'm honest, I just want to tell you that I'm an honest seeker after the truth. Show me Jesus. Show me if Jesus is your son and the savior of the world. And if you bring conviction to my mind that it's true, I will trust him as my savior, follow him as my Lord. If you're a seeker of truth in here and you're not sure what you believe, pray it. See what happens. You have nothing to lose. And maybe everything to gain. For those of you in this room, who have a story, you need to share it. And maybe you haven't shared it publicly yet. Maybe you haven't shared your story in baptism yet. Your next step, if you haven't, is to go to the baptism information meeting right across the hall with Pastor Joe. And what you're going to do is simply in a few weeks, you're going to declare to the whole world that you follow Jesus. You're going to tell about your before story. You're going to talk about your how story and then your after story. And what's so neat about baptism, you may not want to share face-to-face with a coworker or a family member, but if you invite them to church, you can stand up here and we'll read your story for you. But if you have not been baptized and you follow Jesus and you haven't taken that next step of obedience, it's time. It's time. Not next time. Because there may not be a next time. It's time now. So go find out more about how to be baptized. If you've been baptized, tell your story.
got nothing to lose, everything to gain. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you have given us a story. It doesn't matter what our story looks like. We have a story, and that's powerful. God, I pray, Lord, that you would give, you, Lord, here's what, I pray that you would help us to fall so in love with you, be so enthralled with you, that when we see other people, we have to tell our story. Because we want our friends and our family and our coworkers and those who we even know to know about what we know. Help us to be bold and honest so that people can hear the greatest news to ever hit this world in history. For your glory and for the good of others. In Jesus' name.